Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, the kind of things that respect your time. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by, once again, my full complement of co-hosts, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing spectacular. And Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Um, ideally, we can uh, make this kind of quick because i got a hot date with a skeleton coming up. So, uh... Mm. Yeah. And... Finally, of course, my bro host and real life twin brother. How are you doing, Shane? You saved the best for last. I am doing good. And uh, this week we're talking about Undertale. And I have been really excited to talk about this game on the show ever since playing it. Actually, uh, on the flight on my way to your wedding, Nate. This is uh, something that I picked up just mm. a few days before then. And um, this game, this game's awesome. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I am going to gush too much if I if I introduce the basics here, um, but I want to do want to say that this is a game that uh, has a lot of surprises, and it's uh, it's an RPG, something unusual for this show, but it plays so much with those RPG you know mechanics. So if you were thinking oh, I don't really like RPGs, you know there's some there's some things we want to talk about here that that make it stand apart from other uh, typical RPGs. But there's so much to talk about with this game, we're really going to do this as two separate episodes this time. Uh, rather than do our typical format of talking about the game, doing a spoiler break roughly towards the middle, and then talking about spoilers, we're actually going to split the spoiler content off separately. So this entire episode is going to be intended to be spoiler-free as much as we can make it, and really just talking about why we think this game is so interesting and... Uh, uh, you know some of the things that set it apart from other RPGs, why it's really awesome. And then we're going to have a whole separate episode, probably very soon, maybe next week, uh, where we're going to talk in depth about the story of the game and the endings of the game and, um, you know, who everyone is going to ship with who, who are the OTPs in the game and so on. Hmm. Yeah, we should also say that, like, as you're kind of hinting at right there, like, we are going to discuss some mechanics and we're going to discuss kind of like how the game plays. And that in and of itself is a bit of a spoiler. This game is truly unique in what you're doing. Uh, we said it's an RPG, but that's really just because you're controlling a character who kind of has like armor. Um, but that's really <laughs> the of. only thing that uh, it com you know compares it to other RPGs. Um, so... This game, it, you know, we were, we were talking like with like uh, the other like really unique games like Stanley Parable and Magic Circle and stuff like that. Just like even beginning to talk about them as a spoiler. So if you haven't played this game yet, you should, even if uh, we are separating the spoiler break. Yeah, and if you're worried about why you should play and you're not worried about um, some very anecdotal spoilers, we're going to be telling you why we think this game is a goddamn delight. <laughs> I think we're charmed, but some of the charm doesn't come through when the first half hour. Yeah. So if you are, um, if you hear our eloquent praise and decide you want to hop on this game without hearing any of our review, you play 30 minutes and you hate it, play another 15 or come back and have us uh, minorly spoil some of the awesome stuff ahead of you. Promise it's worth it. Yeah. And I would hardly really consider this stuff spoilers. So we're not going to worry about it too much, but Keep that in mind. That's the structure here. So Undertale is a game that's essentially by one guy, Toby Fox. And that wasn't a name that I'd heard before, before uh, jumping in to, to play this game. Uh, this game was recommended to me by a listener. Thank you so much, listener. Thank you so much. It was recommended by a listener who was apparently like a, a step ahead of the game because now I see this game popping up everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, it is being reviewed to the highest degree from basically everywhere i like i think it's steam rating right now is like almost a 10 um which like no game has that uh so i found the name of the listener and i hope i don't butcher it thank you so much Kaway, for uh for writing in because i had only vaguely seen this game like mentioned on a blog someplace it wasn't really on my radar but he he described it with such love that i i couldn't help but give it a try. And um, he also related it to a game that I played earlier this year, and that helped a lot, Earthbound. Um, Earthbound is amazing. It's a wonderful sort of um, step outside of the bounds of what would have been the typical uh, RPG formula when it came out in the 90s. 
Um, and it really is a, a wonderful, charming, funny, weird RPG, but in a lot of ways, it's still very much a product of its time. Its battle system is 100% right out of the Dragon Quest games. I mean, it's basically a Dragon Quest game, but a little funnier and jokier and in a sort of modern setting. So this game, on the surface, looks a lot like Earthbound or something in, in that same vein. But as we'll talk about as we go a little farther into it, this game is very, um, very different. It frees itself from all of the sort of genre constraints and sort of 90s uh, isms of Earthbound and does things that are totally new and totally innovative. And I think one of the ways that it was different that I just want to call out right at the start is that um, in a world that's obsessed with cats, this is firmly a dog person game. <laughs> and I loved that aspect of it very much. And for those listeners who've listened to multiple episodes, we've been um, talking about cats quite a lot, sometimes positively, <laughs> sometimes um, horrifically. So um, it is lovely to have a lot of petting and a lot of, um, you know, dog artists and dogs opening gifts. And uh, two dogs who might uh, have a lifelong union. Who knows? <laughs> dog marriage. Yeah. Hashtag dog marriage. Yes. So um, it does uh, It does subvert a lot of this sort of turn-based RPG basics, but it starts out pretty rooted in those. Um, first, to, to very basically set up the plot, no more than what you'd see from the intro or trailer or what have you. Um, you know, this game starts with a little typical RPG pre-hitting the start button slideshow, which explains that, you know, you're a human in the distant past, Humans and monsters, and monsters is a very vague uh, concept here. Monsters are anything that's not a human, and they're not all human, yeah. really yeah. wacky and interesting. Uh, humans and monsters has monsters had a great war, and uh, the humans won and sealed all of the monsters underground or in the underground uh, with a magic spell. And you play a human who, without much explanation of why or from where. Uh, this human child falls into a hole in a mountain and uh, isn't killed by that fall somehow, even though it looks really far, and uh, and finds themselves in the underground, surrounded by monsters. And the classic Alice in Wonderland to Crypt of the Necrodancer, falling <laughs> through a hole just opens up um, the underworld. A whole new world. And... Um, your character doesn't really get a lot of characterization. You know, you, you put in a name the same way that you might in any RPG. And what was your name? Reagan, of course. Oh. What? I always right. put Reagan. Even when I'm playing, like, oh. a female character, when it gives me that option, I'm like, oh, you know, Reagan, Reagan can be a lady name. Boring. Every time I play Zelda, it's like a boy named Laura. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you put your real names? Oh, mine was Romang. Because uh, Romango? Romango, Romango didn't fit, huh? Romango didn't fit, and so Bummer. I played around with uh, a lot of different versions um, before finally settling on Romang. I, I did Omang um, <laughs> or Omango. I mean, um, Roman, but ultimately Romang was the uh, the decision. The, this game, the the setup, really reminded me of uh, something that was covered on one of our favorite podcasts. Um, Watch out for fireballs recently, which is uh, Blaster Master, <laughs> in which you fall down a giant hole into an underworld full of monsters and shoot your way out with a tank. So it diverges a little bit. <laughs> it's funny you bring their show up because I was also going to, because if there was ever a game that I wanted to do a watch out for fireballs, start from the beginning and go beat by beat all the way through the end uh, podcast... This is like the game to do it for. I hope that someday this game becomes old enough for them to <laughs> them to do it on their show. Well, we're going to be doing two episodes on this game, and that won't even still get uh, close enough to get even uh, do the game justice. There was like an article I just saw very recently that like the developers like there are still secrets in this game that people have not found. There are still things to do that no one has discovered yet. Yeah, I, I am strongly considering a complete second playthrough. Um, and that, that is like with having already completed two of the three endings. That's not that bad, though, because even doing like two full playthroughs of this game, you're not going to spend that much time on it. I would still say it's a short game. We yeah. we tend to say maxing out at like our, our soft cap is like 10 hours. It would probably take you no more than like 15 hours to play through this game twice. 
Oh, not even that. Once you know, like, I, I just, I, I was in my first complete playthrough was maybe five hours. Um, wow, that was a bit quicker than mine, yeah. He probably killed everybody. <laughs> So, so far, we've related this game a lot to older games, things like Shane mentioned Blaster Master or the obvious comparison Earthbound. But there's so many ways that this goes against everything that you expect from those older retro games. And that's really something I want to really make a point to here is like, if you don't like retro games, this game is still for you. This is not a game designed to be a bunch of in-jokes for RPG nerds. This is not a game that's designed for people who only like pixel graphics. This game has so much for, I think, almost anybody who plays games. Um, but one of the things that it does that really just... This game doesn't show you its hand, but the one thing that it does right on the tin is that if you look at the Steam description or any other description of this game, you're going you're going to see that this is an RPG where you don't have to hurt anyone. And so it's really telling you right up front, this is a game where you're going to have choices about who you are and what your path through this game is going to be. And the biggest choice that you have to make is do you do you hurt anyone? And the answer is almost always you don't have to. You can complete this game without actual, even though there's a ton of battles, typical random encounter uh, RPG style battles. Pokemon style. There are many comparisons in this game to Pokemon, but yeah, we'll get into that it's, later. It's, uh, it's very Dragon Quest. It's very Earthbound, except it's not. And we'll talk a lot about the, the RPG mechanics and how the battle system works because it's so interesting. But it's uh, it's not just a typical battle system. Every single battle is a unique little puzzle for you to solve and decide how you want to complete it. So one other way that this uh, game calls back to RPGs you might have played in the past is pixel art. And yes, it's another game of pixel art. Um, you've probably seen a million of these. Um, it's not just them being cheap. It's also them trying to take on that childlike sense of nostalgia and warmth, and it fits perfectly with this game. I mean, it takes what is very simple and adds so much fun and goofiness to it. There's a lot of times when you are going along in a pretty normal pace or normal environment and then insanity erupts from the walls and i don't think they could do quite as much if they weren't doing pixel art without yeah. a billion dollar budget yeah i think that's really true something about the sort of straightforward simplicity of the pixel art particularly early in the game um is that by doing that very simple style they're able to really surprise you Something interesting about the pixel art here is that it's not specifically just of the style of an SNES game or just of the style of the NES or like there's some things that are totally one bit, like really limited. It's white and black pixels, big chunky pixels only. There's other parts where it's pretty detailed and there's other parts where they throw things at you that no retro system could ever do. And it's those things when they suddenly pop out that just really... Like, there's occasional little uh, bits of lighting. There's occasional, like, things just moving in ways that you don't expect. It's so varied and so interesting. The pixel art really lets you, lulls you into this sense of business as normal. So when you trigger something extraordinary, it makes sure you know it. And the same goes for the music, which we haven't talked about yet. Um, the music starts off very simple. It is making me happiest face right now because we're talking about the, music, oh, and he's oh my such God. a big fanboy over it. Oh my he's God, shaking so his good. hair, if you guys could see him. I It is, and I always like... I feel like we forget. I know we put it into the episodes, um, but I feel like we forget to like talk about the music, and there's so much in this game that I would just like stop playing and just sit and listen to the songs. They're so simple and so enjoyable. And so varied, too. The soundtrack for this game, if you go and download the original soundtrack, which you should because it's the best video game soundtrack I have. Um, I mean, that's <laughs> maybe hyperbolic, but oh my God, it's so good. Um, it, it's got 101 tracks on it, guys. It's a really, really big album. Right now, play the Timmy Village uh, song or Temmie Village. Done. You don't... 
It's, thank you. It's silly and fantastic. There's so many wonderful tracks on this. So something interesting about this is that um, that uh, Toby Fox, before this, I think was more known for his... He's known for two things before doing this game, as far as I can tell, because I wasn't really familiar with his work until now. Um, he did a bunch of music for a uh, webcomic slash game called Homestuck. Some of the music in this game actually originated in a slightly different form in that project. And also he did a Earthbound uh, fan hack, like a ROM hack, where he turned Earthbound into a creepy Halloween game. And some of the music in this actually also originates there, like where he actually was, some of the, the music had to be created by essentially remixing existing Earthbound sounds on the fly uh, in a ROM hack. So this guy knows his stuff. Like this, this music all of it's amazing, but some of these songs just stand way out. And what I really love is that there's a lot of great themes that he returns to again and again in different ways. So there's a, a great, simple, basic title theme for the game. And then you'll hear that same melody played with in a dozen different forms throughout the game. And, uh, you know, using uh, things that sound very 8-bit, sound very 16-bit, things that sound really high-flying and interesting with all sorts of dramatic sound that probably wouldn't come out of something like an SNES, uh, you know, real synthesized stuff. It's it's such a great soundtrack. This has got to be one of the best soundtracks of any game we've covered. I can't wait to edit this episode. <laughs> As you were hinting there or kind of elaborating on there at the end, not only is it great music, but it's a smart soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It, it is a soundtrack more akin to like a movie with themes and tones and character songs and things like that than you find in, in most video games. Yeah, it's not like there's the battle theme. Like the battle theme is going to be a hundred different things depending on what the context of the battle is and, and the tone of the enemy mm-hmm. that you're, you're facing. So the music is really nimble, and, and that goes along with the mechanics. I mean, you just mentioned that a battle has a lot of different themes depending on what you're doing. So you don't have to fight. You can also uh, use an act menu to flirt or hug or unhug. Uh, <laughs> lots of different options depending on the monster you're fighting. And the other nice thing about the combat system is when you are defending, um, every monster has a slightly different um, action that they will take. You're always dodging, but the way that you dodge, the the way people come after you, you know, depends on what their gifts are. Yeah. So a depressed ghost might cry on you, but someone else is going to do something equally deadly. And it's up to you to find the right combination to defeat them or show them mercy, depending on how you're playing. Yeah, the, the RPG like combat style here is something that really takes some explaining. And I hope I won't be boring anybody by kind of breaking it down. I mean, I won't be. This is so it's 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 so interesting. He said, hopefully. <laughs> um, so there there's really kind of two big parts to it. First of all, and actually, there's almost a third. So first of all, you can just flat out attack things. And that just takes whatever your, you know, active uh, hit amount of hit points or whatever your, your you know, attack value is. And you get a little sort of rhythm thing where you have to hit the button at just the right moment in order to attack them. And it scales how hard you hit uh, based on, you know, what weapon you have and how close to the right moment you hit. So that's that's really basic. Interestingly, attacking is the most boring thing you can do in combat. But there are sort of two other parts to it. First of all, when they attack you, you have a sort of a mini game. And this is something I've seen in no other game it's almost like WarioWare. Like, did you guys ever play the WarioWare games where it was like a, a series of of fast paced little mini micro oh, games? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those things are lethal. Yeah, they are, and it will flash a game onto the screen at you, and you immediately have to understand what's going on and use a very simple like oh, press A to jump or whatever to avoid dying. 
and then instantly, seconds later, it will do something else, and you have to instantly look at this game, figure out what it is, and take some very basic action in a hurry. Well, that's essentially what you're doing the whole time in Undertale as you avoid being hurt by enemies' attacks, because all of these creatures that you're facing in the underground, they're all monsters, and on some level, they, they all want to be loved. Aren't we all monsters? Aren't, aren't we all monsters? They, they, <laughs> all these monsters want to be loved, but they, they don't know that they want to be loved by you. And so in, initially, when they see you in their turf, they're going to try to hurt you. They're going to attack you. And um, you can choose to fight them and even kill them, uh, which can be a little depressing. Or you can try to make friends with them. And in order to do that, you have to avoid their attacks long enough to figure out how to become friends with them. So avoiding their attacks is kind of a little bullet hell kind of dodging thing where you're represented by a little red heart on the screen and some kind of animation is going to come at you and you have to avoid being injured by it. And where it really shines here is that there are, I think literally hundreds of types of attacks that these creatures can use on you and all of them involve these little different mechanics. Yeah, and not only did they vary it up in terms of like what the attacks look like, like what kind of particles are being thrown at you and how they move and, and things like that, they start to introduce more and more different mechanics like uh, blue attacks that you know don't hurt you if you stand still or, or red attacks that kind of home in on you and, and things like that. And, and it, it adds kind of complexity over time, so that part of the game never felt stale to me even though it was basically doing the same thing over and over again, much like in an RPG, there's probably more variety to this than to any of the, you know, kind of period specific RPGs this was, was imitating. So, so many options. So so much variety. It, it, there's no two battles that are the same almost, even against yeah. the same type of enemy. And really you only face the same type of enemy a few times and it's always mixing it up with different combinations. Right. And they, what's cool too, like you were just saying with combinations is so like you might be fighting a ghost who's a really sad ghost and he's crying and you're dodging his tears, but you might also be fighting like, um, this weird little guy that's like wants to clean you because he's like a little monster robot. Wash, Washua. <laughs> Washua the washing machine. Yeah, wa and it's like a little bird in a little helmet that wants to wash everything. So He has a pet bird. Yeah, he's attacking you with soap bars that like come into the screen in a big spiral, leaving behind shiny sparkles that hurt you while the tears are dropping from above. So you have to dodge them individually and... It can be pretty uh, hectic. And that's not even beginning to scrape the surface of how, how fascinating this mechanic can get in, in the later stuff and in the boss battles. It never, ever stops showing you new things. Like, you will get to the last battle, and it will do things in, in those last minutes of the game, in this part of the game, this, this sort of dodging mechanic, that you've never seen before. Like, it never stops showing you new stuff. It's it's. Astonishing. Well, like what, Reagan? What's a uh, what's one of those late stage things that they show off that that I, w I might not have seen yet? Spoilers. <laughs> I, I I think I kind of want to leave that stuff to talk about later. Like, um, I mean, it's. I'll give a coded answer. One of the battles towards the end, you can fight back while dodging. I didn't realize this and died oh, four times while, right? before I yeah. found out you could fight back, and that's how you're supposed to fight that one. Mm -hmm. But. Um, that's one mechanic they introduce in um, one memorable boss battle. I'll, I'll give I'll give another that I won't explain too clearly. So um, there, throughout the interface of the battle system, the little heart always sort of represents your selection, and it also represents you in the little dodging sort of mini games. It also represents you in a lot of other ways. It represents your character's soul, and that's a concept that becomes pretty important to the story. So there are parts in this game where the uh, the bosses or other creatures will attack you while you're using the interface. Like, your, your little heart will be on the, for example, items menu, and it will be firing at you there, and you have to dodge by choosing a different menu selection, move your little heart out of the way, and then go back to choose from the items menu once that attack is passed. Like, there's so many crazy little tweaks and quirks and, and fascinating little surprises that happen during just the basic, what would be the most boring or at least samey mechanical portions of any other RPG. This one never does the same thing twice. 
And this is where I again have to say, get through the tutorial. Yeah. Because things are very simple and easy at the beginning, and you're going to think this game, you know, you're going to hear all this stuff and think it's hours and hours away. It starts pretty early. It starts pretty early. Yeah. But you just have to get through a little bit of the beginning tutorial and out of the game. Let's talk a little bit about about that section because I I kind of I kind of almost I kind of had a bad experience at that point. That early portion of the game uh, to me was typified by um, you know, just kind of the familiar RPG elements, and the worst one for me was the puzzles. <laughs> That's the whole game, though. I think you just got tri- you you just overthought them or something. Because there's a lot of puzzles I un- in this I game. I, it's impossible to overthink that kind of a puzzle. It's so simple. But I just don't like that kind of puzzle. I mean, that's just me, guys. When he says that kind of puzzles, they're pretty classic mechanics. Can you give me an example of a place where you got stuck? Sure, sure. So there's a an early puzzle that's like a, a block sliding puzzle. And then pretty much hot on the tails of that one, there's a like a walking over tiles to activate a switch puzzle, you know, kind of a lights out style walk over all of the X's to turn them to circles or something. And frankly, that kind of a puzzle uh, just slows me down. Um, Reagan, when we were kids and we hit that moment in uh, in the original Pokemon where they had that you know, sliding on the ice puzzle, which is almost exactly duplicated here. Um, (laughs) Or when we got to that freaking dark tunnel full of Zubats that is also basically a puzzle. Um, I would always sort of hand you the controller or hand you the Game Boy because I hate that kind of a thing. And this game had, uh, I was in the Slack with you guys. Every time I would get to one of these puzzles, I'd be like, oh shit, another one of these. And I would I would try it for a little while and I would say, hey, guys, how do I how do I get past the ice sliding? And and you guys were like, Shane, it's simple. I did it on the first try. Just go around and step on the ice and don't do it wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, don't do it wrong. I, I, I'm really surprised that you had such a hard time, buddy. I'm sorry. They're, they are children. I know, I know. I, I'm not saying I'm a smart man. There's a couple of those, um, you know, Final Fantasy style, you know, arrows going in different directions, jumping on things labyrinthy puzzles that I was kind of I went through a couple times got stuck you, you can get into a loop really easy on this game they're easy puzzles but if you are not in the mood for that particular mini game it can be pretty frustrating I would say though that the puzzles really drop off like the very beginning of the game is essentially a little puzzle dungeon and it is explicitly so I mean we don't we aren't going to be talking too much about the details of the story here but you know you very early on meet one of the best characters in all of modern video games, and that is Papyrus. He, he's a he's a giant talking skeleton, and his job is to uh, maintain the puzzles that defend this part of the underground and uh, try to use them to catch any humans who come through. And um, so there's a there's a story reason for these puzzles puzzles to be here. Yeah, they're dumb. But they disappear after you get out of this area of the game. Yeah, they're dumb. I hear you, Shane. Mm. I, I am sorry you had such a hard time, but... They don't disappear. Well, no. They show up later. Yeah, there's puzzles throughout, but there's the, they're concentrated the most at the beginning. Yeah. True. And also, like, if you hate puzzles... You can get through these. Like they're not big thinkers. If you really, yeah, they're really easy puzzles. If you really, if you you get frustrated by them, uh, you know, look them up. Like they aren't the point. Uh, The satisfaction that comes from this game doesn't come from solving puzzles. So if you find yourself frustrated by them, skip them. Or you know, I mean, you can't skip them. Skip them. But like, look up, look up a solution. Get past them. They're a part of what Laura is talking about. The beginning of the game. That I wouldn't say it drags exactly, but it feels more like the older style of RPGs. And when it starts to kind of break that mold, you'll feel it. And that's what carries you along. But that first half hour or maybe hour and a half, if you're Shane, um, that, that is something that you can get past it. Trust me. And you will want to, but if you, if you need encouragement, hear me, give it a try, please. It's awesome. Before we got started talking about the puzzles, we were talking about the combat, and we kind of left something out that I really wanted to touch on, if you don't mind going back for a second. Um, Obviously, a big part of getting through these RPG-style battles without hurting anybody is dodging their attacks long enough to figure out how to get out of the battle. 
but a big part of the battles is learning about the monsters that are attacking you and trying to get a sense of who they are, what they're all about, why they're there, and then taking a set of actions to uh, to become buddies with them, essentially. And what that you have a few options. You know, on your battle menu, you've got attack, which if you're playing the nice guy solution to all of this stuff, you may never use. You don't ever have to use it. Um, you've got an option to uh, act, to check, and an option for items where you can use items. Um, checking gives you a description of the monster. And in almost every case, it's going to tell you something about that monster that is going to be your clue as to how to interact with them uh, to get them to stop fighting with you and allow you to uh, to pass. One of the earliest kind of unmissable I guess you'd call him a boss. I guess you, I guess I call any a baby boss. Yeah, I call. I guess I call any enemy that I can't get past a, a, a boss. Uh, but yeah, there's a there's a you find a ghost that's like laying on the ground, really depressed, uh, and his name is Napstabluk. And I realized <laughs> later that I think he was called Napstabluk because he was on Napster all the time, mm-hmm. and he was blue, and he was a ghost. And uh, but anyway, Napstabluk um, is like crying, and his tears are hurting you. And uh, you have to cheer him up uh, as the act. So if you check him, you can see that he's he's sad and he needs cheering up. And so this is an easy example. Uh, it's pretty clear that he's sad. I want to find what was the, the funniest. Th- I thought it was one of the best little pieces of, of description in the game. Uh, okay, yeah. So Napstabluk, you've got a few options, but you have to take them in the right order. Like you have to, I think you can cheer him up or you can... Uh, do different things, and you, if you try and cheer him up too soon, uh, the, his reaction is just the, the little action box changes to the words, not really feeling up to it right now, sorry. <laughs> it doesn't attack you at all, just does nothing. Just Yeah, when you when you check Naps to Bluke, it just says, this monster doesn't seem to have a sense of humor. But I think he's hilarious. I so. agree. And so you're, uh, you have to try to cheer Napstabluk up uh, several times, and uh, you get reactions like, uh, you give Napstabluk a patient smile. Napstabluk looks just a little better. And then uh, eventually, Napstabluk wants to show you something. You can also flirt with Napstabluk. I flirted with Napstabluk, oh, definitely. You can flirt with almost everyone. Flirt is almost always an option. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, so so if you cheer him up just enough, he's like, I want to show you something. And then he starts crying upwards, and his tears become a hat. And what does he call that? I think it's like Dapper Bluk. Dapper Bluk. Something like that. And uh, yeah, when, when he shows you that, I think you've, you've charmed him enough that he's going to get up off the floor and move out of your way and allow you to proceed. Later on, he comes back, and that's one of my favorite sequences of the game I've gotten to so far. Absolutely. Oh, when you when you visit Napstabluk in his house. So just as a as a yeah, quick Bluke example Farms. of the uh, of the humor of the game, and we'll talk about some of its sense of humor a little more in detail later. You go and visit Napstabluk in his house, and uh, and I think he shares some food with you, and then you guys lie on the ground, and, and he says, you know, after a good meal. I like to lie on the ground perfectly still and pretend I'm garbage. <laughs> and if you lie on the ground with him, it starts playing like a totally different song and the entire background fades into like a picture of the universe, just galaxies and, and, and stars. And it'll just go as long as you just want to stay there uh, laying on the ground with naps. Hashtag life is strange. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. You'll lie down as long as you don't move. Mm-hmm. My, one of my favorite moments of humor was also at, at Bluke Farms. It was when uh, you, you go a little to the right of his house and you see that him and his family farm snails. And uh, there's a snail race. Um, if, yeah. if you engage in the snail race with, uh, with his, one of his brothers, I, I guess it must be. Um, Another Bluke. He gives you a yellow snail. And he's like, you've got to encourage the, the yellow snail and the, to, to go fast so that it'll win the race. Uh, but really, every time you encourage the yellow snail, it just goes slower and slower. And if you keep encouraging it a whole lot, it like it like dies. It catches on <laughs> fire. It catches on fire. Bursts into yeah. flame. It's, it's like oh, couldn't it couldn't take, couldn't the, take pressure. the pressure. 
<laughs> so no matter what you do, you can't get the snail to win. I think that game is unwinnable, but um, it was very funny to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, a little mini game. Uh, hit X to encourage the snail. I was like wailing on X, and like the snail was like getting beat up and like looking dejected, and then it flipped over and busted into flame. I burst out laughing. Poor snail. Pretty great. So a lot of that, and that's a very that's a fairly early example of how creative and full of character all of these uh, all of these battles are. Really, the thing that's incredible about them is that both their attacks and the ways that you sort of pacify them are always so different and always so particular about the the personality of the monster that you're that you're dealing with. Um, in every case, I always came away from the battle sort of feeling like. Like I had a new little friend, which I guess is kind of the point. The whole point of this game, if you're playing it this way and not attacking, is that you're you're making friends as you go. And by the end of this game, you'll have a whole little cast of little friends. It, it, they're really, really sweet and adorable. And sometimes sexy. <laughs> Ooh. Almost always. Yeah, and you don't always necessarily, like, become best friends with them. Um, you might just, like, peacefully pass by them. like uh, Or peacefully scare them away. Yeah, one of the monsters, her name is Night Knight, and uh, she's a giant knight, and you have a couple different options, one of which is Sing, and if you sing to Night Knight enough times, Night Knight will fall asleep. Night Knight. Oh. And then you can just go. (laughs) Yep, that's (laughs) that. And you can just walk walk right past him. So another thing that this game does really differently from its other RPG progenitors is the way that it handles saving. And on the surface, it looks exactly like every other game. But there's some things here that are that could be serious spoilers, so I won't go into them in depth. We'll talk about them in our next episode where we talk all the spoilers, all the stuff. But here's the thing. This game, the, 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 the one thing that I think I can say without spoiling things, and maybe you guys will have something to add, would be... This game will remember the things that you do, and its save mechanic is more than it looks like. So the the actions that you take in this game have consequences, whether you save or not. But you know what? It, it lets you experiment with that. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. It lets you experiment. It lets you try things and then go back and, and try them a different way by just sort of quit the game and and load back to your latest save if you want to see see what happens. And uh, you'll get some you'll get you'll get some unique results. It does a bit of fourth wall breaking in this way, but it's not it's not the kind of self-conscious, hey, we're in a video game kind of thing that you might see in other games. Like there's some there's some consciousness about the gamey aspects that don't feel like they're just, uh, you know, comedic pandering to the video game set. It plays with the with the mechanics of the you know every every element of it as a game including the way that you handle like save games it's played with in a way that's really fascinating and i won't say anymore yeah a nice example of this just to kind of tie it together is in one fight you can say you've killed me six times already and that's just an example of some of the memory of the game and a little bit of that fourth wall breaking So this game gives you one big tip right on the box. We mentioned it already. It says right in the first sentence of the description that you'll see anywhere about this game that you don't have to hurt anyone. But implicit in that is that you can. Here at the end, I wanted to talk about some tips for for if you're starting this game, how to play it without... Play it efficiently. Now, that's not to say that you won't want to spend a ton of time exploring everything that this game has to offer, but there are a couple of tips that I think might help for short game listeners who are usually folks, I, I suspect, with maybe a little less time on their hands to start the game over from scratch several times. Um, the big tip that I would have uh, is, first of all, listen to the game when it tells you that you don't have to hurt anyone. Um this game has multiple endings. Um, unlike some games that I've played, 
it, it, it doesn't have like hard branching where you'd have to begin the game over completely from scratch to see multiple different endings, but to some degree you might. This is a tip that, you know, if you're wanting this game completely unspoiled uh, and ev- discover everything about it for yourself, maybe skip forward uh, 30 seconds or a minute or so. But here's the deal. This game has basically three paths that you can take through it. You can play a, what's called, what the wikis and everything calls a genocide run, where you go through and kill everything. And you get a very dark, creepy experience. Frankly, it's horrifying. It wouldn't be what I'd recommend as anybody's first playthrough. So I wouldn't take that route. Most players, the first time they play through, are going to get what's called a neutral ending. All players are. Every single player will get a neutral ending the first time they play. Oh, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what you do, you'll get the neutral ending if you play through the first time. Um, And I actually didn't realize that. Um, I kind of thought I lucked into getting the neutral ending first and then getting what the third ending that's possible is the true pacifist ending. Um, which is considered the like good ending. It's the it's the ending that is really kind of the the end ending. Um, in order to get the neutral, in order to get the neutral ending, all you need to do is have your sins, you know, not weigh you down at the end of the game. Like you you can't have been playing as a genocide person. You can't have killed everything. But as long as you're not killing most stuff, you can get through. Um, but I think the ideal way to play would be to play from the beginning as if you were going for the pacifist ending, the don't kill anything ending, because in order to get that true pacifist ending, you have to not kill any monsters. And then you also have to make friends with all of the important characters in the game. And you do that by going on dates with them. So every time you beat a boss, um, well, three of the key bosses of the game, there's an option to go hang out with them and become better friends after you've already sort of gotten past that uh, that boss. Netflix and chill, if you will. <laughs> exactly. I would recommend trying to go for first the neutral ending, which you will get, but do it not by just sort of killing some and not killing others. Do it by being a pacifist. Yeah, the most efficient way to play, which I did, was don't kill anybody, save at the very end, finish the game, restart, and then uh, load your save point, and then go back and the game will guide you to what you need to do next. Yeah, it's very easy to get the uh, the neutral ending. And if you've gotten that neutral ending by not killing anybody, it will very clearly guide you on to what you need to do to get that final ending. And all of the endings of the game are absolutely fascinating. I've played through to the neutral ending and the true pacifist ending, the genocide ending, the genocide run, I think I don't have the heart for it um, because I uh, I grew to love all these characters so much. You know, we won't we'll talk about some of the more details when we talk about details of the of the endings. But I grew to love all these characters so much that I I couldn't I just didn't have the heart to do it. Um, but there's some really great videos. I will link in our next episode's show notes to a video that goes over all of the major differences between the. Uh, neutral playthrough and a genocide playthrough. And I just decided I would watch that on YouTube because I didn't want to do, do the heartbreaking work that's required to uh, to do the genocide run. But um, yeah, short version of the tips, play pacifist. Anybody else have any tips for folks? Shane, I know you had a hard time. Was there anything you wish you'd known? Yeah, um, I have a few tips about the puzzles. Um, <laughs> um, Past third grade. Ooh. Ooh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take I don't edit that out, but I do take it back. My my tip is that like when you act first off, slow down, really look at the puzzles. They're not that hard. Don't overthink them. Don't try it. Don't try and overthink it or, or go too fast. And then when you do get past them, um, don't forget to use your items because there's bosses and big fights after a bunch of the puzzles. And you'll have to do them again if you actually get killed. So watch out. Yeah, don't be afraid of dying. Uh, You'll die a lot if you're doing the pacifist run. Yeah. And it it usually, I thought, did a pretty good job of placing save points um, before things that were likely to kill you. Uh, I know Shane had some trouble with that, but I I didn't really. um, I would say that the save points are pretty well placed, but do save basically every opportunity that you get. Um, And if something kills you... um, Maybe go back and try to fight it again and experiment a lot and just try things 
even if your health and items and everything are running out, don't feel like you have to get past every creature the first time every time. Um, you know, let it kill you a couple of times if you're having trouble and figure out what makes it tick and then give it a try. Um, one final tip that helped me a ton um, because there are some later bosses in the game that are just really, really, really difficult. Something we didn't talk about, and actually I kind of wish we'd remembered to talk about it, but something that we didn't talk about is that if you're sparing every enemy in the game, that means you never get any experience points. This was a genius move of the game. The game doesn't necessarily reward you for being this nice guy pacifist that never kills anything, you never level up. To get to the true ending, you have to get through this entire game having never killed anything, never gained any experience points, and staying at level one the entire game. And what that means is that apart from leveling up your items, your armor, um, you never get any more HP. You just have to be good at dodging the whole time. So if the game gets really too hard for you, I won't go into a whole lot of detail right here, but do a quick Google search for the Temi armor. That's T-E-M-M-I-E. I'll put a quick link to the to a article about it in the uh, in the show notes. There is a way to I wouldn't say necessarily cheese this game, but if it's getting really hard for you, there's some sort of almost overpowered armor that you can pick up with a little bit of work that uh, will help a lot. And I really needed it. I got through to the very last boss and was absolute. I think I I think I died maybe 20 times to the final boss. Oh, geez. And um, it was only by backtracking pretty significantly to get the Temi armor that I was able to continue. So if you're having a hard time, pick that stuff up. I'm feeling really good about myself because I defeated I Asgore in five goes without the Temi armor. So go me. Yeah, yeah. You're, you know, you're the bionic woman. Carry, my one advice would be just carry tons of uh, food items. Buy a ton of cinnamon bunnies. And oh, just, yeah. Ooh. Or, or my trick... My trick was the bicycles, which aren't what they sound sound like. They're bicycles because they're two popsicles. <laughs> Duh, that's exactly like it sounded like. And uh, <laughs> so, because you can use them twice, you can carry. They don't do it. They don't heal you quite as much. But since you can use them twice, it's kind of like having double the inventory slots. So having those was a big help when I realized that. But you can only buy them in fairly early in the game. So I went back a couple of times and stocked up on them again. Yeah, I just bought crab apples. Uh which healed a little bit more than the bicycles did. I had my cell phone full of crab apples, and which doesn't make any sense, I know, to those <laughs> who haven't played, but uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Also some glam burgers. Uh, so there's a point when, when you're near a waterfall where you'll find a little uh, piano puzzle. Did any of you guys find the piano? I did. Yes. Yes. I, I got to it, and then I couldn't figure it out after a few minutes, and I thought, this is probably optional, and I moved past it. And then when you told me what happened, I really wished I had gone through with it. Yeah, I did solve great. it, and I really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah, so you, inside the inside there, you find a, uh, a relic that's like, you know, you, you walk up to it, and you try and pick it up, and it says, you're in, you have too many dogs in your inventory. <laughs> and so I checked my inventory, and what do you know? I've got a dog in there. Annoying so the dog. dog. Down. Mm -hmm. And the dog grabs the item and then runs away. And then uh, I was like, "Oh, well, that was a, that was a wash." But what the dog did do was it left dog residue in my inventory. And if you use the dog residue, well, it fills up the rest of your inventory slots with dog residue. <laughs> and sometimes a dog salad. Yes. So if you do that over and over again, if you just if you just sell the dog residue. And, and keep like one of them and just sell it over and over again. Um, eventually, you'll also fill up your inventory with dog salad, which is just like free health items. And you can sell the dog uh, dog residue for a relatively small amount of gold, but it's essentially unlimited gold as well, which is a pretty neat little free exploit. Money. exploit. Yeah, but it's like four. <laughs> so yeah. if you're going to... It's like worth nothing. <laughs> yeah, it would take you such a long time to turn all that dog residue into gold. Which is one of the favorite sentences I've, I think I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much little, like, wonderful weirdness. So many little delightful things like dog salads. Uh, in, in this game, it's, it's so full of, so full of delight. Life. So full of life. So people should play this game. I, I, I hope that 
through what we talked about so far, if you haven't played this game already, that you have rushed out to buy it because it's on Steam, it'll run on Mac or PC or, or Linux, I believe, and it is $9.99, which is the bargain of the century. Um, <laughs> it's an amazing game. So pick up this game. And uh, if you have already played it, thank you for listening. I hope that uh, I hope that our reminiscence about it was enjoyable. And tune in probably next week for another episode about Undertale, where we're going to be talking in detail about spoilers. We're going to be talking about the endings. We're going to be talking about the details of the story in as much as we can fit. And very importantly, we're going to be talking about our theories about the the uh, story and endings. There is some RPG-iness to this end to the endings of this game that left me wanting to read a bunch of fan theories and wiki articles to try to pick apart exactly what was going on. There's more to this game than it appears on the surface. So definitely tune back in next week for that if you haven't if you've gotten a chance to complete Undertale. Between now and then, you guys can uh, out there in the audience can find us on Twitter. We're at underscore short game, or you can find us on our Facebook group. Um, you could find us there. That's the thing we have. If you have and games to suggest to us, you can write to us on, by email, just like listener uh, Kawei did. Thank you so much again. Oh my God. I'm so glad I played this game. Uh, write to us at info at the short or you can go on our website. There's a feedback form there. We love to hear from listeners about games that they have liked and think would be right for the show. So if you have a game that you think we've missed, please do write to us. All right, join us next week for our coverage of Fallout 4. (laughs) Oh, you beat me to it. I was going to say, I'm really glad that next week's episode is still this game because uh, I'm going to be deep in my vault all week, so I won't have time to... uh... I guess, or getting out of my vault, I guess, is... Yeah, Vault 11D1. Yeah. You guys can all play. (laughs) Leave me alone. Romango. Laura, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Laura J. Nash, and I will be the one person not playing Fallout 4 next week. (laughs) Nate, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And Shane, where can people find you? Uh, Just go to the Google search engine and type in the bag of money emoji. (laughs) Perfect. Or on his Twitter, which I'll link in the show notes. And uh, I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And thank you so much for joining us again on this episode of the short game.